Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Good morning. It's nice to see you and uh, whoever you are and however you've come to be here today and those of you watching at home, uh, it's a great privilege to have you join us this morning, my name is Chad, if you don't know me, and I had the privilege of sharing something really exciting today, which I'll do later. Fine, fine, that's how you're going to be. Re- really exciting today. Yeah, let's see if you can keep that up. Now, this week I received uh, an email from the apostolic pioneer who planted this church 19 years ago. Now, he is currently um, in Italy, in lockdown in Rome, and, uh, but he wrote me this email and he asked me to share it with you as a church family. And it was really important, he said, that I read it to you aloud. Now, I understand that For some of you, hearing something read is not a normal part of your everyday culture. And as I read through his email today, there might be some details you'll miss. And just go with it, okay? It doesn't doesn't really matter. You'll get a printed copy later. And I'll make sure there's also an electronic copy available on your computer. You can read again any time in case you missed any details. But he did say to me, it was really important that I read this out aloud to you. It's going to take maybe about 15 minutes or so to read it. And so I just want you to bypass your general culture of not being used to sitting down listening to a reading and and join with me today as we read this very, very important email aloud because there's some great news in here for us as a church, okay? And for you as an individual. So here we go. Are you ready? You're still excited? This is unprecedented good news I know the word unprecedented has been used a lot this year, but this is amazing that we would get this letter this week, and I had the privilege of reading it to you. This letter is from Marty and Alex, slaves of Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people at Bayside who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the other leaders. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you His grace and peace. Every time I think of you, Bayside, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you known with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Because I want you to understand what really matters. 
so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character that is produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to our God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained great confidence and boldly speak God's message without any fear. Told you there was good news in this. Now, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Others preach Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me. They know I've been appointed to defend the good news. The others don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains even more painful for me. But at the end of the day, does it matter? Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. And so I will rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never ever be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying? Well, it's even better, actually. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better by far for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. So knowing this, I'm convinced I will remain alive. I'll continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you have even more reason to take pride in Christ because of what He's doing through me. Now, above all, please understand, you must live as citizens of heaven. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Uh, then whether I come and see you again, or if I only hear about you, I will know you stand together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. <laughs> now, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This is a sign to them they're going to be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that is by God. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. We're in the struggle together. You've seen my struggle in the past and you know that I'm still in the midst of it. So if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation from His love, if there's any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any affection or any mercy at all, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Have the same love. Be united in spirit. Be intent on one purpose. Please do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't do anything out of conceit. But in humility, consider others more than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of other people. Adopt the same attitude that Christ Jesus had who existing in the very form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, assumed the very form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth. And every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only now, but so much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is working in you, both to will and work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world as you hold firm to the word of life. And then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't labor or run for nothing. (laughs) But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you too should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, I do hope in the Lord Jesus to send Alex to you soon so that I may be encouraged by news about you. Because I have no one else like him, like-minded, who genuinely cares about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know he's proven his character because he's served with me in the gospel ministry as a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go here with me. And I'm confident in the Lord I myself will come to you soon. But I considered it necessary to send back to you Malcolm, my brother, my co-worker and fellow soldier who's your minister and a messenger that you sent to take care of my needs, since he's been longing for all of you and he's distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was so sick he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason... I'm even more eager to send him back to you so that you can rejoice again where you see him and I may be less anxious. So welcome him in the Lord, okay? Please welcome him in the Lord and do so with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the lacking in your ministry to me. My beloved ones, don't ever, ever limit your joy. Did I say joy? It's a typo. Don't worry about it. My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing Christ. I don't mind repeating what I've already written to you because it protects you. Beware of religious hypocrites who teach you you should be circumcised to please God. We've already experienced heart circumcision. And we worship in the power and freedom of the Holy Spirit. Not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Christ Jesus has done. And not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. Now it's true that I once relied on all that I had become. I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others. (laughs) For my pedigree was impeccable. I was born a true Hebrew of the heritage of Israel and the son of a Jewish man from the tribe of Benjamin, after all. I was circumcised eight days after my birth and was raised in the strict tradition of Orthodox Judaism, living a separated and devout life as a Pharisee. And concerning the righteousness of the Torah, no one surpassed me. 
I was without peer. Furthermore, as a fiery defender for the faith, I persecuted the Messianic believers with religious zeal. Yet all of those accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them. That's in the text. It's an emoji. Go with it. I've now forsaken those accomplishments and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know Him has meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting in the garbage heap. It's like a pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace Him as Lord in all of His greatness. My passion is to be consumed with Him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping a written law. No, no, no. My righteousness will be His based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes as a gift from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience overflowing power of His resurrection and working in me. I will be one with Him in His sufferings and also be one in Him with His death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with Him in His resurrection from the realm of death. Now, I admit that I already haven't acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, okay? But I run with passion into His abundance so that I may reach the purpose Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. No, but I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight to divine invitation of reaching my heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all of you who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to you in due time. Let us all advance together to reach the victory prize, following one path with one passion. My beloved friends, imitate my walk with God. And follow all those who walk according to the way of life that we modelled before you. Because there's many who live by different standards. As I've warned you many times, and I'm, I'm weeping as I type these words, they are enemies of the cross of Christ and of the anointed one, and doom awaits them. Their God has possessed them and made them mute. Their boasters in the shameful lifestyles, uh, and their minds are in the dirt. But we, my friends, are a colony of heaven on earth as we cling tightly to our life giver, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies and transfigure us into the identical likeness of His glorified body. And using His matchless power, He continually subdues everything. Using His matchless power, He continually subdues everything to Himself. Whew. Therefore, my Bayside brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Jay and I plead with Ellie to stop arguing with one another. <laughs> yes, and, and I ask you, Maureen, help these women since they've contended 
at my side in the cause of the gospel, uh, along with Jono and, and all the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, yeah, you're right, man. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, because I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. After all, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you <laughs> to share in my trouble. And moreover, as you Bayside's know, in the early days of your acquaintance in the gospel, when I set out from the Flurio Peninsula, not one church shared with me in giving and receiving except you only. In fact, even when I was in Southeast Asia, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And it's not that I desire your gifts, okay? What I desire is that more would be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Malcolm the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, and they are pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ. To God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, there's a PS, PS at the end. A, he's never quite finished, is he? Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus the brothers and sisters who are with me here send their greetings. And all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. Again, amen again. That's it. That's, that's the whole email, okay. He can't. He writes very well. I had to translate. It was in Greek when it came through. Yes, there is a verse in Revelation that declares a curse upon he who tries to change the words of this book. <laughs> but me and Dad have had a chat about it and we're on good terms, okay? Obviously, a few reasons I've done that. Hmm. 
maybe it's not obvious. You put ourselves in the pews and shoes, or the sandals, if you like, of a church 1950 years ago or thereabouts, let's just say 2,000 years ago. This is how they received letters from the Apostle Paul. And this is how they were read. On best estimates in the Roman world, literacy rates, so how many people can read, okay, was in the single digits percentage. So less than one in ten people could actually read. Um, in the Jewish world, we're not 100% sure, but what we do know is most reading in the Jewish community was done publicly in synagogue and in the temple. It was very normal. I don't know if you can understand this, but before the days of internet and TV and radio, to sit and listen to something being read or something being performed. This was how people heard things. And as you read through the book of Acts, this is exactly what would have happened. Paul would have written a real letter to real people who he really knew and he asked someone to read it out aloud. In fact, John, I joked about Revelation just now, but in the book of Revelation it says, blessed is he who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it. Blessed is he who reads, blessed are those who hear. And it doesn't say blessed are those who understand. You don't have to understand the Bible, all of it, to be blessed by it. There is some type of blessing involved in just hearing the thing. In just hearing, and this is how, you know, there's no way that if someone sent us a real email in real life, you know, we really did get one, he said, listen, read this out to the church, it would be totally wrong of me just to read the first couple of lines, flick through to the back and, and then read my favourite bit, no, skip that, skip that, skip that. All right, who am I, the mainstream media? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you give the whole context. You'd show the whole thing. And this is how, for most books of the Bible... We should read them, and particularly the letters. All right? And this is one of the reasons that many Christians have a disjointed view of the Scripture, because we don't sometimes just sit down and read it like it should be read. And when you do that, it means you miss some detail. Okay? If I was to say, share 10 things from that letter, some of you would be like, no, no way I can do that. I just know there was one or two things that were particularly good. Okay? Well, maybe not even that for some of you. But... <laughs> But this is the way where it's okay. You just read the whole thing and you get the big flow. This is how it was done 2,000 years ago. Why do I say that? For the last eight weeks, we've been doing a series through this book. And I have never, until five minutes ago, ever been in a church meeting where someone has done this. And I thought this week, in a way to finish our series on Philippians, that what I do here in the pulpit is supposed to help you in your private life. That if I demonstrate how to read the Bible, that I hope that you can do that on your own. Those watching, those listening here today, this is how you can read the Scriptures. It's not that hard. And you might not get all the detail, but you sit and you read it and God will minister to your heart and mind, even if you do it and swallow it whole like that. Today, some of you have experienced this for the very first time and I hope you remember it. Because even if you don't walk away, being able to quote one of those verses, you will remember, hopefully, if you put your mind back 2,000 years ago, this is how this book was supposed to be read initially. And as I said, the privilege now is you get a copy of this letter on paper in your own home. Some of you have different translations. That was four different translations I just read then, one for each chapter. Okay, I mixed it up a little bit. 
where you've got many you can access online and I want to encourage you to read the scripture like that and there was another reason I did that why is it why is it you don't know anyway that'll do donkey that'll do that's it I'm done for three weeks that's uh no who are you kidding who are you kidding this whole letter of Paul to the Philippians is, has some major themes that thread through it. And uh, one of them is the theme of partnership. From the very beginning, he says, my partnership with you, to the very end, where he says, thank you so much for partnering with me even today. And the other theme, a major theme that goes through the book of Philippians is a three-letter word, is simply joy. 16 times, we're told, in these, that letter, we had the word joy or rejoice mentioned over and over again. And as he finishes this letter, those final sort of 10 verses surrounded by a few greetings, he sort of brings those things together, talking about partnership and joy. And specifically, he talks about the gift, the financial gift that Malcolm brought him from that church. And what I want to do just briefly is look at three things about that financial partnership between the church and Paul. Three very simple things from his perspective and from their perspective and then we're going to close our winter series today on choosing joy. So our key text really after all that is Philippians 4, the last 10 verses, 10 to 20. And also I'll be referencing 2 Corinthians 8. And the reason for that is when Paul writes a letter like this, which was about four times longer, okay, when he wrote a letter like this and sent it to the Corinthian church, he talks about the Philippians. He writes about the Philippian church and he boasts about them to the Corinthian church. And we're going to read or mention some of that here. All right? I want to talk about some of the conduct that we see between Paul and this church and some of the underlying beliefs and attitude, attitude, attitude that came out with them. All right? Three simple things. Classic Chad. Are you with me? Were you actually let down when I said I had some great news? Because surely... There is some awesome news in that letter. I don't know. I don't know. There is some awesome news in that letter. So I hope you still maintain that excitement as we go on. Here we go. First thing I see here in this financial partnership between Paul and the Philippian church. How did they conduct themselves in this partnership? Well, in Paul, I see a man who was above reproach. And as far as the church goes, I see people who gave regularly, relationally, and radically. You know, when we see Paul, he says here in this passage, I've received the gift you sent me. He's letting them know this wasn't an undercover deal. I'm coming out in the open and saying, I got the goods. This was a man that lived above reproach. If you look in 2 Corinthians, that other letter that he wrote when he talked about uh, stewarding a financial gift, he says that, listen, I'm sending Titus, uh, another trusted friend and someone you know, to carry this financial gift because they, they couldn't electronically transfer back, things back in those days, had sacks of cash, okay? And they, I'm, I'm sending a, a guy that you know with me so that we may be above reproach in how we handle these funds. He says this, 2 Corinthians 8.20, we want to avoid any criticism of the way that we administrate the liberal gift that you've given us. For we're taking pains to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. Paul being above reproach. Reproach is basically another word for accusation. Okay? So it's kind of his way of saying, we're taking pains to do the right thing, to be above accusation in the way that we conduct ourselves in this partnership. And it wasn't because he didn't trust himself himself. 
Oh, I don't trust myself. I've got sticky fingers. I better make sure someone's with me. No, it's wanted because he wanted to set an example to show I'm above reproach in this area. I want you to know you can be confident in me. And it's amazing. You know, it shouldn't surprise us the longer that we, the um, more we grow up and that we're mature, when we hear stories of, of situations where people in leadership roles don't do the right thing. Uh, let me rephrase that. It should surprise us, but not shock us. Because even Jesus, when he had 12 people, even he had one of them who walked with him for three years every day, saw the miracles, knew Jesus as a friend, close in the flesh. Even he had a guy who did the dodgy on him afterwards. And Paul knows, and this is why he writes in his letters, listen, leaders that handle serious issues should be people that are above accusation and make sure they don't have sticky fingers because we do not want this type of accusation making a negative reputation for a community that is supposed to represent God's trustworthiness. Okay, so Paul writes very sternly about those type of things. And of course, in practical level as a church, we make sure we do that here. From Some of you know from day one of our church founding, we've always had uh, an outside pastor on our finance team that can at any point see anything that we do here. We make sure we get our books audited every year. It costs us significant amount of money to do that but these are costs and inconveniences that we believe are worth paying to say we are stewarding something that belongs to God and we want to make sure that we do so in a manner that is above reproach it's one of the lessons that we learn from the apostle Paul who said listen I want you to know we're taking pains to doing what is right we want to be above reproach and so that's what we see in the apostle Paul in his side of this partnership as far as the Philippians go and their side of the partnership, he says to them, listen, you've sent me aid not only 10 years ago, but then also eight years ago and now. You've not just given once off, you've been regular and you've given relationally because of this relational partnership. And he also says in the Corinthian letter of them, in 2 Corinthians 8.3, he says, I testify that these Philippians gave as much as they were able and even they gave beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? That's amazing, isn't it? Radical, radical giving, trusting God in supernatural strength. So this is what we see in their conduct of this financial partnership. What's the second thing we see? Underlying all behavior or conduct are beliefs, convictions. Okay, beliefs, I, I, act, I behave this way, I conduct myself this way because I believe certain things. So let's look at those beliefs that formed this partnership, that undergirded this. Well, on Paul's side, he believed that God was his source. God is my source. On the Philippian side, they believed that they were called to partner with God, partner with Paul. They had a dutiful participation in this partnership. How many of you love that tone that came out in that letter when Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, because I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I can do anything because it's God is the one that gives me. Hey, God's the one that gives me. He is my source. He is my source. Andrew Womack is preaching in our, our friend's church in Melbourne today uh, with uh, Andrew McGrath at Hope City. And uh, Andrew Womack, our friend from, Texas, our friend from uh, Colorado, says, don't give to where you are begged. 
give where you are fed. And this is what Paul, Paul did. Never begged, never asked, because he knew God was his source. And that one source may have had different streams. Because at some times when Paul travelled, churches helped him. In other times when he travelled, no one helped him. So he got a job and made tents. Same source, different streams. How many of you got a story in your life where you know, I had a stream, it dried up, and then the same source just opened another stream and kept flowing because I trust the one source. Now, there might be different streams, but I trust the one source. And this is Paul's testimony. That's happened to us as a church numerous times. It's just happened to us now over this COVID season. We had uh, people that were hiring our facility that were paying rent in an area during COVID. That stream of income for us dried up. And this week, a whole other stream just opened up. We're going to be hosting... Uh, St. John's First Aid, doing first aid training here uh, a couple of times a month. And that stream is going to be a consistent flow for us. Same source, same God, different stream. You might have gone through this COVID season, ended up on something like JobKeeper, and you know that, is, that specific thing has been a stream that you know is going to start trickling out. Well, Centrelink is not your source. Centrelink is not your source. It's just the name of that particular stream at this time. God is the ultimate source. And whatever stream or streams those names have on them, that's not the issue. I trust God and I've learned to be content because I know He is the one that looks after all my needs. Because it's according to His riches in glory. That's how our needs are met. According to His riches, God is my source. And yet on the Philippian side of this partnership, whilst Paul said, God's my source, they knew that they were called to be one of those streams. They knew that they had a role to play, a, a, a duty to play, to practically help and be one of those streams through which the great source flowed. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 8, these Philippians or another church urgently pleaded with us with the privilege of sharing in this service to God's people. And they exceeded our expectations they not only gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, but then by God's will, they gave to us. So these people that were giving did so. Why? Because they wanted to. I'm pleading with you. Please, can I partner? Please, can I be a stream? And I know it's God's will. God is your source, but I know it's God's will for me to participate in that stream, not be a blockage in the stream, but be the part of the stream that flows to you. On one side of the partnership, Paul believed God was his source. On the other side, the Philippians believed they were a stream. It was the will of God as a delight and a duty for them. And that's just one of the beliefs that we see that shaped their conduct here at the end of this letter. There's others, of course. In this, in this last few verses, we know that the church believed that their giving was practical. Um, did you know that Paul is in prison in Rome and he can't make tents while he's there How, how's the dude gonna eat how's he gonna how's he gonna eat how's he gonna buy clothes when winter hits how's he gonna get pens and paper and upgrade his computer and access wi-fi as he's writing we want him to be writing and ministering while he's locked up we, we need to look, so we, he's got some practical needs so let's give something that meets practical needs that's how they saw it and then what did paul see you know what you did your gift went up like a fragrance into the heavenly realm. They saw that they were doing something practical. He saw that they were doing something profoundly spiritual. 
They saw that they were doing something that would benefit him. He saw that they were doing something that would benefit them because I'm looking to what may be credited to you. Somehow I know when you do this, God does this. So I'm happy to say, keep it coming, fellas, if you like, because I know that's for your good. It's not about me. Partnership, different beliefs that determined their conduct. And lastly, we see their attitude. Attitude towards this financial partnership. And on Paul's behalf, it was one of great gladness. And on the church's behalf, it was one of overflowing joy. Holy, holy. What does overflowing joy look like? What does it sound? Have you ever seen someone that is overflowing in joy? Paul says that about this church. In what we just read then in verse 10, Paul said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that your gift has come. I rejoice greatly. Do you know what the word there for there is greatly in the Greek? It's the word mega. I mega rejoice. I am mega glad. Okay, I'm great glad. And it's fascinating because as we read that whole letter, he says, I rejoice that you're praying for me. I rejoice that you've sent a gift for me. I'm, I rejoice you've done this for me. And now I greatly rejoice that you've renewed your concern for me. Paul's attitude was one of great gladness and joy. The Philippians' attitude, what did that look like? Well, he tells the Corinthian church what this church looked like. When he says this, 2 Corinthians 8, 1, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches, like Philippi, in the midst of a severe trial. In the midst of a trial. Their overflowing joy. How many of you know he's talking about the Philippians there? In Macedonia, this is the joyful church, okay? Their overflowing joy and their poverty welled up in rich generosity. What was the attitude of the Philippian church in this partnership? It was one of overflowing joy. Great gladness and overflowing joy. You know, in the church I grew up on in my young adult years, and we used to do the pastor buckets thing in church, and the first time I walked in there, it shocked me when this happened because it was part of a culture I'd, I'd never experienced. And the pastor, or, the, or I think it was Glenda at the time, would say, we're going to receive our offering right now. And I was used to sort of Pentecostal churches where there'd be a 20-minute mini sermonette and blah, blah, blah. You're sort of pulling teeth and people just give because it just stops you from talking about it. Then let's do it, you know. And so, okay. And so, and I was kind of more used to that culture. And I go to this church for the very first time and Glenda just says, it's time to receive our offering. Let's do that with joy. That was it. Just like that. And the whole place erupted in shouts and applause and thanks, and it was like, what the heck is going on? These people knew what it was to be glad givers and to do so with overflowing joy. And it sounded like something. It looked like something. They were happy in that moment because they knew, as we read in the Corinthian letter, all that God's goodness had come to them. They were glad to respond to him and to be part of something bigger than themselves. They gave passionately. I think I've heard Rob say something like this before. Passion says, what is the most I can do? Not what is the most I can get away with. Yeah, what is the most I can do? Not the most I can, I can get away with. Thou shalt not murder. Oh, thou shalt not murder. What's the most I can get away with? 
Now you should be passionate about not murdering. No, no, no. <laughs> What's the most I can do? Excellence is about doing the best with what you have. Jay demonstrates this. I've shared an illustration like this before, but you know, we had friends over for dinner on Friday night, and when friends come over, well, good ones, you know. Um, well, no. When people, when people come into our home, Jay's always, when she's in charge of the meal, she's like, what's the best I can do? What's the best I can do to honour the most important people? And when it comes to bringing our gifts to God, this is the attitude. What is the best I can do? When we cook for a meal for friends or for people that come into our home, we say, look, it's just fresh out of the oven. Here is our best. The next day, I'll eat what's left over for lunch. And, that, and the next morning, if there's anything left, I'll give it to the chooks. Because that's the order of honour. Jay doesn't bring out the roast, the best we have, and take it out to the chooks first to give them a go. And once they've had a turn, they say, well, Chad, you pick out what you want for lunch. Our friends are going to be here at six, so we'll give them the leftovers. No, it's the other order. You honour the most important first. And so we come, God, my greatest passion is for you. As a glad, overflowing joy giver that wants to do things passionately with excellence, you are first. This is an issue of attitude. On a practical level with the Philippians, as we just read in that Corinthian verse, they actually didn't give very much because they were a people who were experiencing poverty. Did you see that? Overflowing joy, even though they were poor, were richly generous. Poor people can be generous because this is an attitude. Okay, So practically it may not, it may not have been much. But in their attitude, they were mega givers. They were big givers. Like the woman that somehow got Jesus' attention when she dropped her little mites in. And Jesus, and Jesus said, proportionately, she gave more than all those other trumpet blowers. Proportionately, she is a passionate giver. May not be much, but she's a big giver on the inside. We are partners with God and His kingdom. And we do so with passion, joy, and gladness. And if that is not your attitude, remember we just read in Marty's letter, he said there's a mature attitude you should have. And if you don't have that attitude yet, hopefully in good time you'll change. Well, in the same way, if we don't approach our service to God with joy and gladness, then I'm going to encourage you, change that attitude. Because your attitude is your attitude. It's our responsibility to choose joy. Come on, eight weeks, guys. Come on, you should, you should know that. It's our attitude to choose. It's our responsibility to choose joy. Because as someone once said, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. If you don't change it, you're not going anywhere. Bad attitude, like a flat tire. If you don't change it, you ain't going nowhere fast. God loves a cheerful giver. And so as I finish off this series, because this is how Paul finishes off his letter, I want to encourage you to choose joy in your financial giving. And it's as simple as ABC. Choose joy and choose to have a happy attitude. God loves a cheerful giver. Choose to believe the right thing when it comes to financial partnership with God. Delighting in duty, extending the gospel, honours God as our source. Believe these things and choose to conduct ourselves accordingly.
And I want to say thank you, like Paul did to the Philippian church. I've not been around for July. So I'm having our first financial team meeting this week. I'm not 100% sure how last financial year closed out. But I want to thank you, everyone, even those watching online, some of you who are our online congregation, financially partnering with us. I want to thank you with great joy for your investment and for your, not just the investment into a house practically, but thank you for a fragrant offering that you've given to heaven. That is something to rejoice in. And as our nation faces times, or an upcoming times certainly, of significant financial uncertainty, uh, hearing the R word again, this we know. God is our source. And while streams may change, God is our source and supply. And he's chosen us to partner with him. And we will do so with great joy. Because joy is a choice. Joy is a gift. But joy is also a choice. And I, for one, want to choose joy in all of my dealings. Have you enjoyed this series in the last eight weeks? Anyone? I want to thank Tony Ide. Do you remember Tony? came to us from prison when he shared on video kind of you know going with the whole roman thing you know i had this idea this week of reading out the whole letter and the day i committed to it i think it was thursday in here the next morning i listened to a podcast one of the podcasts i like listening to is uh, called the bible project i've suggested sometimes you watch their cartoons on on youtube the bible project they also do a podcast that you can listen to quite good value and the next day just after i decided to read that whole letter out loud they did a Q&R, Q and question and answer podcast. And the very first question was, should churches read whole letters in one sitting just as they were intended? I'm like, all right, Lord, done. It's a done deal. I'm doing it. I'm doing that. Jeff and Rob, I want to thank you for sharing in the last couple of weeks while I was away. A great job. And how many of you liked My Mylene? Do you remember Mylene preaching? I don't mind saying the same things to you again because it protects you for our safety. Mylene's having a very big day today if you um, have an affection for Mylene you look her up on Facebook when you get home uh, her and Josel as we speak are being uh, ordained or commissioned as the senior pastors of the church that they've been serving in in Alabang for the last three or four years under their spiritual mum and dad they're taking on that church it is a very significant church in Manila I think close to 10,000 people call that church their home it's the sort of the base church of a whole movement of churches called New Life Churches and our friends Jocelyn and Mylene are taking up that mantle as we speak this morning that's happening. So I can't wait to get home. Mylene and Jocelyn, bless you and thank you so much for being part of this series. Well, next Sunday, we're going to call it our Fresh Start Sunday because all going to plan. Yes, all going to plan. Uh, we're waiting for the legislation to come out from the state government on Wednesday about some of the announcements that were made on Friday just 100% make sure it doesn't affect us on a Sunday but all going to plan uh, we will be opening our doors letting the public know that uh, we welcome them back into our doors after 19 weeks of just trying to keep our services in-house uh, and growing as we go uh, I'm just trusting God that that's the end of an era and uh, 20 weeks in we can open our doors again and uh, to visitors and let it be known that we are a house for all people. When we first started, one of the uh, scriptures that we would often hear as a church in our early days was Jesus' passionate walking through the temple when he made a whip and he kicked over tables. 
and you look at that great passion in Jesus, you think, what the heck? What's your problem, Jesus? Did you have prob- Do you have a problem with money? Do you have a problem with money in church, Jesus? You got a problem with having money in church? No, that wasn't his problem. Do you have a problem with selling stuff in the foyer, Jesus? Is that your issue? No, that wasn't his problem. He quoted a scripture when he was doing that and driving those sellers out. And he says, my house, God says, is called a house of prayer for all nations. And where Jesus was kicking over tables was in the area of the church building, okay, the temple, where non-Jewish people were able to worship. And because they were trading there, those other nation people who wanted to come and worship Yahweh could not worship because of all the inconsideration of people. They were basically saying, you're not welcome here unless you're Jewish. You're not welcome here unless you're one of us. Jesus came through and he said, to heck with that. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And while we've had to do what we've had to do in the last couple of months, it has grieved me to have to say, please don't come yet. Next week, we get to say that. And for those of you watching who want to come here in person, I won't say in the flesh because that's got bad biblical connotation, but want to be here face to face, we'd love to welcome you. Density requirements pending, but we'd love to meet with you and see you here. Are you glad that you're here today? And not just seeing on the screen. Let's go with joy. I think we'll be good to... Can we do that? Who's in charge now? Ellie. Come on, let's choose the joy. The Lord is our strength. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I bless the families in this church. Your protection, your provision, your prosperity and pathways of peace and of ever-increasing productivity in Jesus' awesome name. We thank you for your great, great generosity towards us and we rejoice in your joy today. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.